are listening to Radio Maria, and this is Father Toby with your word for today on this memorial of St. Pius X. But what I want to do today is to uh, share with you my reflections on yesterday's uh, gospel, which I think um, by anybody's standards is a, is a somewhat challenging, uh, challenge, challenging gospel. Um, it's taken from Matthew and it is chapter 19. No, sorry, it's chapter 15. Jesus left Gennesaret and withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Then out came a Canaanite woman from that district and started shouting, Sir, son of David, take pity on me. My daughter is tormented by a devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples went and pleaded with him. Give her what she wants, they said, because she is shouting after us. He said in reply, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But the woman had come up and was kneeling at his feet. Lord, she said, help me. He replied, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the house dogs. She retorted, ah, yes, sir but even house dogs can eat the scraps that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, you have great faith. Let your wish be granted. And from that moment, her daughter was well again. I remember once reading an account of two Jews meeting, and they're getting into an argument, and the much younger Jew, who has just started to truly appreciate his Jewish identity, says to the much older Jew, Oh, come on, let's not argue. We are both Jewish after all. To which the older Jew replies, No, come on, we're Jewish. Let's argue. The Jews are not scared of argument, and in fact believe that argument in good faith is the best way to arrive at truth. And I want to give you a description of the Talmud that I found recently on a Jewish website. And the Talmud, for those who haven't heard of it, is an ancient collection of commentaries on the Jewish scriptures. And it's especially precious to them, a bit like how we treasure the writings of the church fathers, but perhaps even more so. And here's what the website said. The Talmud is unclassifiable, but one would not go too far to describe it as one long dispute. Unlike most books, the Talmud enshrines a large number of voices and they disagree with one another. The argument continues among the later commentators on the page until, if the words could be suddenly vocalised, you would get a cacophony of indignant argument. And the writer continues, Our tradition enshrines disagreement. Debate is a kind of Jewish sacrament. I love that. Debate is a kind of Jewish sacrament. I was not so aware of the Jewish love and respect for argument when I was younger, but I was given an example of it one night when at boarding school and I was about 11 or 12, and one of my then best friends, a Jewish boy called Matthew Neuberger, woke me up in the middle of the night. I think it was around 2 a.m. and he said to me, Toby, I cannot sleep. Would you like to have an argument? If we did have an argument, I cannot remember what it was, but I think it would have started with, yeah, Matthew, I'll argue with you about why it's not on waking someone else up just because you cannot sleep. 
But there is a lot for us to learn from the Jewish love for argument, which at its best is not a love of arguing primarily, but a love of truth and a respect for argument as the way to get to truth. The Jews recognize that our minds are made to know the truth and that the truth is something worth arguing about because who wants to live a delusion? Too often in contemporary society, people do not argue either because they have placed some other value above truth, like tolerance or civility, or because they have grown too sensitive or too egotistical, both forms of pride, and they would rather be wrong than be embarrassed or corrected. It's also really important for us to understand the Jewish love and belief in the importance of argument, because if we approached the Gospels neglecting their Jewish context and Jesus' Jewishness, and instead we bring our English civility as the measure of all things, we'll come to wrong conclusions. And in our Gospel today, we have an argument going on between Jesus and the Canaanite woman. And I suspect there may have been some wry smiles during it, or at least an argument of the verbal sparring. But who knows? But in the argument, they are both right. Jesus is correct that the Israelites were God's chosen people and he came primarily for them. The Israelites were the people chosen to be a light to all the nations. But the Canaanite woman is correct that the light was to enlighten the Gentiles. The light was not just for the sake of Israel, but for all the nations. In other words, food should fall from the table for the dogs, and the dogs should eat it. And in the superabundance of God, what falls from the table will be more than enough. Nonetheless, this passage and dialogue between Jesus and this lady can make us feel quite uneasy. I don't think that's an entirely bad thing, but what we should recognize is that that uneasiness only exists as a result of the totality of the gospel. I challenge you to find a non-Christian culture which would be scandalized by Jesus's idea in this gospel of looking after your own first. I challenge you to find a country which was not formed by Christian principles that would be comfortable with a Muslim first minister or a Hindu prime minister. I happen to think that this is a good fruit of a Christian society, but also at the same time a sign of a Christian civilization in serious decline, where the foundations which made it great are starting to decay with the buildings also tumbling down. But those who reject Christianity, or like reject the idea of any God but maintain the equal dignity of all people, I think they're a bit like those cartoon characters who saw off the branch they're standing upon, and then stay steady for a moment, and then look back or down and start to plummet to the ground. It's very hard to argue for the equal dignity of all people. It's very hard to argue for the rights of refugees if you simply believe that humans are nothing more than a product of evolution, and that when we die, that is all there is. Now, many people who believe those two things, that we are simply a product of evolution and there is no God involved in this anywhere, and that when we die, we simply rot, decay, and that's the end of the story. Many people who believe those two things do still argue for the rights of refugees, do still, still argue for the equal dignity of all people. 
but I don't think their argument makes much sense. I think Christianity has seeped much deeper into their bones than they realize. And if they were to eradicate this Christian sort of water in which they in which they swim that they haven't noticed, they would find it very, very hard to come to the conclusion that they want to. But there is one other aspect of this story I just want to briefly touch upon today. I want to ask the question, who do you treat like dogs today? If you're scandalized by Jesus's referring to the Canaanite woman comparing her to a dog, might we not perhaps also have to look at our own behavior? And I want to think about one thing in particular. Have you ever watched the dog who just sits there absolutely transfixed on the food that its owners are eating, never looking away, has complete focus, and yet the owner is completely oblivious to the dog in that moment? And I think of this because I started reading a book recently with the brilliant title, My Brain Has Too Many Tabs Open, How to Disentangle Your Relationship with Tech. And I'm reading it because I struggle with it and because I see and hear other people struggling with it. And the opening chapter begins with the author recounting her experience of being in a classroom, giving a talk to a a group of young children in a school in London. And at the end of her talk, a little girl who she says is no more than nine years old in the front row of the class raises her hand. And when she gestures to her to give her a question, she says, my mum's on the phone and it's like she's in a bubble. I try and I try, but I can't get through that bubble and get her to notice me or talk to me. And the author recounts how up until that point there had been a forest of hands amongst the children, all waving urgently to ask questions or give comments on the talk she had just given on using social media and staying safe online. But now that this little girl had begun to enunciate her problem, all the other hands had dropped and an expectant hush had fallen on the road. And the author, Tenugolni, says it struck her that maybe more than one of the children in that classroom had the problem the little girl was recounting. And the author replies, well, if your mother was standing here right now, what would you like me to know about how my phone habits make you feel? And the girl paused thoughtfully before speaking and then said, it makes me feel invisible. It makes me feel that I don't matter and that I'm not important. And the author recounts how she was talking about her heartbreaking experience in a confident matter-of-fact tone that stung her and that she had a lump in her throat as she listened. And she replies to her, Your mother loves you very much, and I think she'd be horrified to find out that this is how her phone habits are making you feel. I guarantee she doesn't realise what she's doing. She is just picking up her phone without thinking because she has got into a bad habit, not because she doesn't want to talk to you. But as the author comments, there are children all over the world, not just in that small London school, wondering how to tell their parents how their phone habits make them feel. In one international study, 54% of children 
said that they thought their parents spent too much time on their phones, with 36% saying their parents get distracted by their phones right in the middle of conversations with them, which makes them feel unimportant to them. Let's all of us make sure that we don't treat our phones like the chosen people and the people entrusted to us to love like dogs. This was a Radio Maria podcast. If you enjoyed it, do please click like and subscribe on your podcast provider or leave us a review. Every bit of feedback helps increase our visibility and allows us to reach more people with the message of Christ's saving truth. And if you don't already, you can listen to Radio Maria live either online or on DAB in selected regions of the UK. We'd love for you to call in live and be part of the conversation. See our website, radiomariaengland.uk, for more details and a full schedule of programmes. And do please consider making a donation so that we can keep making more programmes like this. We are completely dependent upon the generosity of our listeners.